This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl, and my guest this week is Pasha Palanker. He is a retired Special Ops Master Sergeant. He is credited with saving the lives of 15 soldiers by confronting and stopping a suicide bomber in a face-to-face altercation. Pasha is a two-time recipient of the Purple Heart for wounds received in combat. Pasha is on mission to break the stigma associated with mental health treatment. He is helping organizations address the current nationwide mental health crisis by openly sharing his journey from the high of being an elite warrior, literally being at the top of the world, jumping from planes 25,000 feet up in the air to the rock bottom emotional breakdown, and then back to recovery. Pasha is a professional parachute demonstrator who regularly jumps into high profile events such as NASCAR events, college football games, and private corporate events. Pasha, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Hey, Nick. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. So let me, you know, when it comes to, we want to talk about mental health. We want to talk about PTSD. You know, before we talk about all that, though, you decided, what made you decide to join the military? Like, let's start there. Well, I came here as a as a 15-year-old kid. Uh, I was an immigrant. I came here with my mom, my brother, my grandparents. Didn't speak a word of English. Actually, I'll tell you a quick funny story about Mm -hmm. this country and and what it means to me. Uh, Our final destination into America was uh, Los Angeles. We had a layover in New York. Like I'm looking at the window, seeing Manhattan, Statue of Liberty, and just surreal experience as a 15-year-old kid. And then when we land, we're at the airport. And uh, at that point in my life, I've had Pepsi maybe five times in my life. And like, I absolutely loved it. And at the airport, I see the soda machine and my grandma was the one that had all the, the money, right? So I went and I begged her and, and I got a dollar from her and I go and I get myself, like I get a cup and pour myself some Pepsi and I try it and it was horrible. <laughs> I was so disappointed. I was like, man, Pepsi in America sucks. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, we got on our plane, I got to Los Angeles and, and just, I was war- overwhelmed for a while, just pinching myself, waking up every morning. Then it dawned on me, probably like took like three, four years until it dawned on me that that day I poured myself Diet Pepsi instead of regular Pepsi. (laughs) And I use this as just as an example is like, this is the only nation in the world where you can go from not being able to tell the difference, like just not knowing enough about the culture or the language to tell the difference between regular soda and diet soda to living the American dream to like have experienced all the things that I got to experience, you know, to include, you know, spending time with the president of the United States, like where else in the world is that going to happen? Mm-hmm. So obviously before I joined, before I joined the military, I didn't have all of these experiences, but we came here, we had nothing. People propped us up, got us on our feet. And this is a place where, you know, I got an opportunity to do things with my life like where, I, where I'm from in Moldova, that would not have happened. So I, I joined the army just out of sheer gratitude for everything that this nation has given me. Yeah, it's it's awesome that you you kind of talked about people who propped you up, 
who are the people that helped you on that journey from from where from getting off the plane trying uh, diet Pepsi to you know joining eventually joining the military who helped you and who affected you in that journey well it was initially it was my grandma's brother him and his wife they were the ones that that you know filed all the paperwork for us to get here they helped us find a place to live but that was that was kind of it and then it was it was a lot of people that I never got to meet. It was people uh, who you know donated clothing for us, people who helped us figure out like how to get on on welfare, and some other like just just local people helped sign me up for school. It's it's a lot of people that you know I've never met. I never got to say thank you, but that's a lot of volunteers. And, um, you know, there's a lot of us, a lot of people in America do good things. They never get to see what comes out of the time and, and, and resources that they donate. So I hope like whoever, whoever is listening to our conversation, I, like maybe they use this, my experience as a, as an immigrant early on in this country, it's life-changing. It's the little things, but they're life-changing. Yeah. It seems like a lot of those little things change the trajectory of your life. Uh, including joining the military. So for the people that don't know, what branch did you join? So I joined I joined the Army. Again, I joined the Army because I did not know about the Marine Corps. I didn't, I didn't, I just, I just knew I wanted to serve. I knew that there is an Army and that's, I went to an Army recruiter, but I didn't know, I knew about the Navy, but that's, I wasn't interested in that. I didn't know much about the Air Force. I just like Army. So that's, that's where you go to join the Army. I, I basically stumbled my way my way through probably the first seven years of my life here in America, just because I didn't know, I did not know any better. I didn't have anybody to guide me. So it just like, just stumbled my way. And that's how I ended up where I ended up. Like once I was in the army, that's when I like, there's recruiters for special operations. There's recruiters for all kinds of different things that picked my interest. So basically what it took is my desire to do something and then the hard work to make that, the reality. So what did you do? You signed up for the military. What happened? And, and now you're joining the army and you, you get into boot camp, and, and you're just like any other kid. You're probably uh, drowning for a couple weeks. What happens after that? Well, after that, after boot camp is over, obviously you feel, you feel relieved. It was also a strange time because I joined, I, I went to boot camp in May of uh, 2003. It's Afghanistan is already going on. The war in Iraq is, is is happening right as we speak. So there's a lot of uncertainty. So there's relief of like being done with boot camp. And my first duty station was Hawaii. So there's a relief, there's excitement of, man, like, you know, you don't want to go to war, but at the same time as a soldier, you, you want to go and participate. You don't want to be the, like, at least me, I didn't want to be the guy that's like the war is happening and, uh, and I'm not I'm not a part of it. So there's, there's a lot of mixed emotions after I joined, after, after, you know, all my basic training was done and I got to my duty station, but life in Hawaii was pretty sweet. So, in a, you know, that, that added to this like period of uncertainty, which eventually I, they were looking for volunteers to go on this deployment. Uh, and, and that's how I ended up in Iraq 10 months after I got, after I got to Hawaii. So how many, how many years did you spend or how, what was your time, a length of time in Iraq? So that first deployment was about a year. 
And then I went there a couple more times, but that was 10 years after that. And in between, I, I spent a lot of time in, in other countries in Middle East and um, in Africa. Got it. And you started, you said you, in the recruiting side, you started working on special ops as well. How are those conversations like? And, and did you have to interview for those or people were approaching you? Well, the way, so special ops, it's, you know, they come, they recruit on, on basis. They come to regular line units. They come, hey, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is the process that it takes to get there. If you're interested, fill out this paperwork. So you fill out a lot of paperwork, <laughs> a lot of, and then if, if what you put in there, if it checks out, if you if your ability, like test scores check out, then you get invited to come and try out through the selection process. And then the selection process is, is brutal. <laughs> There's a lot of soul searching that happens in there. And, and uh, if you make it through that, then you get invited into this year-long training course. And then after you make it through that, that's when you're in special operations. And even then, then, then you're a new kid. Right. You, you made it through all of this, but now you're amongst giants and, uh, and now there's, it's a constant, it's constant force grow growth, like personal growth. If you take that path, but it's not easy, but it's, it's very meaningful and fulfilling. And, and when you're done, you're just surrounded by people, by the best of the best. And, and I was fortunate enough to be a part of that. Did you make it out on the first try? when you went into the special ops training? Yeah, I went through selection. I made it through the first time. I don't know how, like I, I, I remember taking it one day at a time. It's like, well, the, today's day so-and-so and I'm still here, but these three guys are not. And, and that's kind of what kept me going is, you know, everybody has their own little system when they get into that world. But for me, I just, I just remember one day at a time. I can't believe I'm still here. All right, let's go. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's always fascinating for me which makes me curious to ask this question, but what were the things that got you through it? Was it, you know, the one day at a time? Was it, I'm focusing on that end goal? Was it, I'm trying to do something else? Or was there something else in, in your mind to persevere through that journey? It was, it was literally, it wasn't even one day at a time. It was just like, whatever is happening right now, that's, that's all I focused on. You know, there's a lot of, rock marching land navigation that's involved in this stuff you cover a lot of distance during the day uh and sometimes at night i i literally it was for me it was one step at a time until i got to to my next to my next destination and and there were times where i didn't know if i was going to make it or not because you know you miss a couple of points that's it you're you're done so i couldn't even i couldn't even think about the end like like i knew this is where i wanted to be and and the only way i i have a chance of making it is just i have to give it all and i have to concentrate on on right now and today and i think that's actually what's been what helped me years down the road when i was struggling uh, mm-hmm. with my mental health yeah let's let's talk let's kind of switch over to that so when it comes to your mental health and and specifically with with ptsd when did you start being affected by that so I had a, that first deployment that I volunteered for in 2005. It was just, it's a rough, rough trip. You, like you, I got to see and experience the worst of what war has to offer 
and humanity too. I mean, there's nothing like being on a scene after, like in a crowded market where a truck bomb blew up and there's 150 people dead and they're dead like not like 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 gruesome just the gruesome scene and, and people like running around looking for their loved ones and mothers crying and all kinds of stuff like that so experiences like that combined with my own near-death experiences when i got home it was just hard to it's hard to fit into society because because that that's a part of me now, right? And and it's hard to relate to to the what seemed to me like trivial concerns of everyday life in America and the problems. So the first thing I probably started to experience was just isolation. I, I had a hard time fitting in and I would I would feel better being around other people that have had my experience. But but what do you do with family members? You know, it's it's so so that was tough. But I didn't pay much attention to that because it's just normal. Everybody who went there experienced what I experienced. So you're Some, telling me that it was harder for you to come home than it was during deployment? Absolutely. And it's harder for most people. The thing about deployments, life is very simple there. It, it may, might sound backwards, but there is, you got your time up, whatever you do on base, whether it's like workout movies or whatever. Then there's the mission, like the intensity of combat, and that's it. There's no, there's none of the stuff that happens at home, errands, bills, whatever. None, all that stuff is gone, and and you're in that very unique experience, like the real bonding experience with the people that you're there. So when you come home, it's very different, and and for a lot of a lot of guys uh, and ladies, it's uh, a lot of us just want to go back there because of of the simplicity and because of the camaraderie and there's also a lot of meaning doing something on behalf of your nation in a competitive market does your customer service stand out from the crowd one way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud but with so many options to choose from how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers that's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah. I, I definitely respect that. So when it comes to you personally, at what point did you realize that you needed help? It took me 10 years. I, I realized it 10 years too late because when I came back from my first appointment, the initial signs and symptoms were there, but I ignored them. And well, first I just, I just was not aware. I just like I, anger was a big part of, of my, of, of my experience. Like I had few road rage incidents that I'm not proud of. I, at one point, I was on a plane where this guy kept my chair, kicked my chair once many times, and I got up and I started yelling at him, like, like threatening to kill him, and 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 all kinds of stuff at the top of my lungs. And then it's just, I just came to it. I was like, oh my god! So I just stopped and sat down and turned around. So things like that would happen, but I ignored him because there was not, I didn't get in trouble. There was no no real repercussions. So so because I ignored him slowly they 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 continue to get worse 
little by little every day. And when it was just me, it was not a big deal. But when I got married and I started to have kids, that anger went from from some some random stranger on the road. It went to my kids. There's two experiences that continue to affect me to this day. So I had a face-to-face with a suicide bomber when I was coming back from a mission. I was a gunner in my Humvee. And, uh, you know, it got to a point to where this guy is like two to five feet away from me. And he was so close. I had to pick up my M4, like lean over all of my protective, uh, the gunner's plates in order to engage him directly, like straight into it. And uh, that's the only option that I had. And I remember like my brain was like, oh, that's a horrible idea. Like it's just like, drop down. It's like what it's, it is, it's going to be, it is what it is basically at that point. And then I felt this anger unlike anything I've ever experienced. And, and that anger drove me to take, pick up that rifle, lean over and engage him. So I engaged him. I got us just enough time to pass him. Like we passed him and he was about 10 feet behind us when he ended up detonating. Like as our eyes were locked. I'm pretty sure it, there's a video, there's all kind of propaganda video of that. So I'm pretty sure people who were recording it are the ones that detonated remotely, like their backup system. But anger in that moment saved my life. Unfortunately, it never left me. It, 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 like I would get triggered. And then uh, once I'm, once I'm past that breaking point, that anger comes out and it would come out over and over and over around my loved ones. And, you know, slowly it, it create, started to create a divide and, and friction in my, in my relationship with my wife and in, and in my children. So I'd say for the first five years while I was struggling with that, that's before, like, before I was married, while kids, my kids were li- little, I just was not aware of, any, of anything that's going on with me. And then once, like, my, my son started to get older and, and that anger started to come out. I was like, yeah, there's something there. But then I was in like, just, just in denial. I was like, ah, it's just going to take care of itself. So slowly my life got worse just a little bit every day. And before I knew it, I was at this rock bottom. And, and my wake up call was one day I noticed that anger that I had in my kids and the way they would treat each other. Um, there was a little more that happened to it. I, I went back to Iraq. I got exposed to another explosion. And, and when I went back to Iraq, I just basically unzipped everything that wasn't processed, just came flooding out. And that combination with seeing that anger in my kids, I was just like, I need to do something about it. I was just, I was broken. I was like, I was lost. And, um, like they were going to try and, and, and push me out of the army, like medically retire me. So I went and I, I asked for help. And in 2015, 10 years to the day, almost to the day from, from when I got back from my first deployment is when I, I started to get help. And I, I started to see therapy. I got, I got medication and I slowly started to recover. But I was ignorant. I was in ignorant and I was in denial. And then I was also afraid of the stigma that's associated with mental health treatment. So those three things is what almost cost me a lot of things, but fortunately they didn't. So I appreciate that background when it comes, you kind of mentioned denial um, and others. What, what are those stages that you, that you went through before you actually picked the phone up or reached out to somebody to get help? 
um, like the, so the three stages are just lack of awareness. Like I, I did not know what PTSD was. I did not know what, what, what warning signs to look out for, which is why I'm talking about this stuff, right? Just, just to help illuminate this invisible enemy. So there's just not enough awareness. I thought PTSD me like waking up screaming in the middle of the night or like sleeping in a tent, like in the backyard. That's what I thought PTSD was. Like never would I thought it's just me having anger problems or me not being able to fit in. It's just, there's a lot, there were a lot of guys like me. So it was normal. It was the norm. And because it's the norm, that means I don't need to do anything about it. So that's lack of awareness. And then denial is, is just that, that human ignorance. It's like, uh, just like putting your head in the sand. It's like, oh yeah, the problem is there, but it's just going to take care of itself. What I, what I didn't realize is if it's not getting better, then it's going to be getting worse. There was no, there was no in between. So like every day and, and it happened so slowly, it's almost imperceivable how, how slowly that self-destruction happens, but it picks up speed. It picks up speed and there's momentum in that downward spiral where eventually you end up in this place where you're so far from the person you used to be that it's a daunting test to try and get yourself back up. And then like when I was like, as I'm spiraling, it was really hard to go and ask for help. It was hard. It, it's probably one of the hardest things I had to do, but then it's, it's the, my, it's the kids. It's when I saw that, that I'm in, like, I'm passing my mental health, my, my trauma onto my children. That was probably what, what drove me to, I didn't pick up the phone. I just went and I went to my clinic and I said, I need help. And um, that started my, my journey to recovery, which was not, it was not a smooth one. It was just like, I, I, I went and I asked for help. And I don't know if you want to talk about this later on, but, but I just want to make sure that it's not, it was not that simple. Oh, I started to get therapy and, and here I am. It's, it was not that simple. Yeah, there's not just this uh, sugar cube that you can take, this placebo, and you're just totally fine. You're you're killing it right now. Yeah, I wish it was that easy. Then we'd have no suicides. Uh, yeah, and so let's let's talk about that because it's not just the the journey is. I, I'm I finally stepped out. I got really uncomfortable uh, because I saw this in my kids, and I didn't. I wanted to change not just myself, but I wanted to change who I am for my kids as well. And you finally got help. What happened after that? Is it, what was the journey like? And and I'm guessing there, there wasn't just this upward trajectory. Like you said, there's some setbacks and, you know, maybe walk me through that. So I went, I started to see a therapist and she was amazing. Uh, I started to see her instantly. I felt relief. Like I started to process things that needed to be processed. And as soon as, like I would process some of these memories. It's just like the weight that they, their weight would stop like crushing me. And, and I just, I just felt a little bit lighter. So I had more, more understanding of what's going on with me. I started to take medication, which there's very small percentage of people on, on which medication specifically like the typical like Zoloft or Prozac or stuff like that doesn't work. I think I was one of them because I, I was taking it and I didn't really feel any kind of relief from it. And even they say 
state is supposed to stop at cold turkey. You're not supposed to stop at cold turkey. You're supposed to wean it off while I stopped it and, it, and nothing changed for me. But I, I tried therapy and I tried medication. Basically, I was doing, and my life started to get better. And then uh, about two years into that process, and because I started doing those things, my unit allowed me to stay on. They didn't force me to medically retire. And uh, that's how actually how I really got into jumping out of planes. I couldn't deploy anymore, but I found meaning in something else. So therapy and then finding another job that I enjoyed while still serving in the military, that, that kept me going. And, and my life started to get better from, some, from 2015 to into 2017. End of 2017 was actually a culmination of everything where I got to go through this intensive four-week treatment specifically for PTSD and traumatic brain injury. And there is where I got to really understand what's going on with me. Why am I acting the way that I'm acting? Actually, I think it's a really helpful concept and it applies to everyone. It's not just for me that, that had all this trauma from combat. It's anyone who's dealing with stress. It's basically, it's very simple. It's, I'm going to use this as an example, like with glass of water. So we all have capacity to deal with stress. Like when you wake up in the morning, that glass of water is full. And as you go throughout your day, like you're drinking a little bit out of it. And that's why towards the end, towards the end of the day, we're much more susceptible to losing it, like to, to having that emotional breakdown. The thing is, people like that have been through emotional trauma or, or head injuries, you wake up and, and your glass is half full. That's just, that's just how it is. You just have less capacity to deal with stress. What I didn't realize is there's things that you can do to pour some water into that cup, to, to refill it throughout the day so that you have more capacity to deal with, with life. And, and the way that's done is through the basics, sleep, protecting your sleep, nutrition and exercise those three things is what pours water back into the glass and and allows you to to just be more functional despite of the weight of the things that you carry so that was that happened in 2018 and, and at the end of that treatment i actually got to meet with president trump uh they were looking for somebody to talk to him about the treatment that i just went through and that's probably a whole different conversation uh, the five minutes i spent with him but that was like life, life was great. And then just again, like me being a human, human being, all of the things that I was doing that got me to the point to where everything was going well, I stopped. I, and it didn't happen. I didn't just stop them. But the therapist that I was seeing, she got moved and I couldn't create a connection with another one. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm just not going to bother with it. So that was the first thing. Then I like I used to I used to do a lot of like I would I would I, I in those two years from 2015 2017 I read a lot of books I listened to a lot of podcasts on, on self development and just trying to understand the mind so I developed this self care routine uh, where like like stuff for my sleep exercise nutrition I tried a lot of things and I found a few things that worked for me and, and I was doing them and, and and they were helpful but when I stopped seeing the therapist and I stopped you know, running consistently, then, then I it just like slowly everything started to go by the wayside. And then few people that I knew committed suicide. So that like put me deeper into that. I like, I basically started to spiral back down again. I should have known better because I've already been down that road, but 
I just, just, and you know, it's just that thing of being human. It's just, it's, we're all vulnerable to this kind of stuff. It's not enough just to know what to do. And then I almost killed myself on the jump. I was, I was, you know, flying my parachute, everything worked the way it's supposed to. And just like people do stupid things on a motorcycle. I did something like that, where it's basically, I hooked it in. I ended up hitting the ground like 30, 35 miles an hour. Like I hit so hard that just the force from like the, just the torque from like my arm being here tore my pack off the shoulder. Mm. I don't know how I didn't break a single bone in my body, but like, which is very fortunate to get up and walk away. So after that happened, like the army was like, you're not jumping anymore. So you're not deployable. You're not jumping. You're getting medically retired. So a lot of things happen at the same time. And then, and then uh, COVID happens. And so this is over the span of two years and then COVID isolation from COVID happens. And I ended up in this place where I couldn't sleep. I did not take care of myself physically anymore. I couldn't be around my family. Just uh, the anger was out of control. And I was, I was alone. Like I'm being pushed out of the army because of COVID. I can't be around anybody else who's like me. I was done. I, my, my, like I'm being suffocated, what it feels like by all of the stressors going on in my life. And at the same time, my mind just started to go numb. I did not care about consequences. I did not care about like what happens to me in this, in the place like this is where suicide became not only real option, but it was very logical. Like I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. I don't know what to do about my suffering. I'm a horrible husband. I'm a horrible father. My family's better off without me. And that's, that's the place where suicide happens. But there was this one part of me the one part of me that kept me going through the toughest of the military challenges, like the one thing that just one step at a time and not quitting and and suicide felt like basically like quitting. And I didn't know what to do. So I just put, got in my car and I drove myself to ER and Walter Reed and uh, checked myself in where I ended up going to psychiatric facility. I spent a bunch of time there. And it was miserable. It was not a pleasant experience. So I don't want to like sugarcoat it. Yeah, I did this and it, and it was great. But <laughs> it was terrible. I remember one thing when I was driving myself there, I was like, well, at least there'll be other combat veterans there. And I show up that not, not a single, not a single, like it was people really like having like something mentally wrong with them, like smearing poop all over the walls, like that kind of stuff. Mm. But you know what? I was in a place where I couldn't hurt myself. I couldn't hurt anybody else. Uh, and while I was there, they helped me fix my sleep. They basically got me on my feet. And, and it got me through that dark period. Eventually, I got out of there. And um, I had a lot of time like to think about life while I was in there. And so and while I was in there, I, I, uh, I was able to figure things out. And, and I felt a lot better. Than I did, you know, a couple of weeks prior, I was still struggling, but at least I was on my feet. You know, somebody propped me up again, and then I was able to get back to work. and And we can talk about that more specifically. But that was that was kind of my journey, like 2015, like really bad place. I get help, things start to get better, 
I stopped doing the things that got me there. And then coincidentally, a couple of bad things happened in my life that just spiraled me. Like I put myself in, into even a worse place that I was in 2015. And then, and then I, I, you know, I, instead of taking the suicide option, I, I, I get through that. I basically just, just tough it out. And then I, I rebuild myself over the last two years and, and, and get to this point where I'm at now. So it's been a, it's been a heck of a journey. It's not <sighs> right. It's a roller coaster of emotion. Yeah. You've had some, like I said, at the very beginning, you've had some really high highs and you had some really low lows. You know, when it comes to the decision where you thought it was a viable option to end your life, that had to have been a very hard time. You know, one question I want to ask is for the people that are there today, because there are not just people in the military, but there are people that are thinking about that. And maybe there's one person today that's that's listening to this podcast that's that's struggling in that exact moment that thinks it's a viable option. What would you say to that one person? But you have to remind yourself that the thinking that happens when you're in that place, you can't trust that judgment. It's not reasonable. It's not a real option. It's not. There's, there's so much that there's so much potential for your life that you're not seeing just because of your, you're being suffocated by the by the weight of whatever is going on in your life the reality is that it's a fairly simple process to pull yourself out of that place it's simple it's 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 not i did not do anything special that nobody else can do that's not the key to my success although i've been fortunate enough to do some amazing things since that happened but it but it it was it was one it was decisions like i want things to get better i want my life to, to get better and it wasn't for every for anybody else it wasn't for my wife or my kids it's just like i want my life to get better that's a decision that that I, that that i made and that's something that you can make and then the second thing is i i had to learn how to show up for myself again because i neglected myself over all those years and and i had to show up for myself and and uh, I started very simple. I just, I, I mean, there's a bunch of them in here, but this is like all the different journals. I, 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 like, I decided like, what is the one thing that I can do that I know I'm doing it for myself that I have no excuses not to do. And it was, it was journal. Like it was just like, how do I keep myself accountable? Like, so for the longest, for the, for the probably first few weeks, all I would do is pick up my pen and, and the journal. I would just write today's date there. I showed up for myself and nothing else. After a couple of weeks, I just like, I'm doing something for myself and it made me feel better. And then I would just, whatever was on my mind, I would write in there and I would just like pull it out of my head and, and put it on paper. And it made it a little bit better. My sleep became a little bit better because of that. And then a month goes by and I, I just feel like I'm doing this. Like this is happening. I'm doing this for myself. And then, and then once that became a habit, my mind automatically was like, well, what's the next simplest thing I can do for myself? Like, how do I show up for myself? And, 
you know, a couple of years prior, being outside, walking or running, that was, that's something that helped me, helped me process things, helped to relieve stress. And it just, you know, exercise makes you feel good about yourself. So I started out with walking. I would just go and I'd go for a walk outside. Uh, like when I would feel tension at home, I would, I would go and that became part of my routine. And then, and then that became part of who I am. And then like eventually led like last year, I ran a 50 mile race just because, you know, how good it made me feel to, to do that kind of stuff. Um, and it wasn't like if, if I started out like when I'm in that dark place, like, oh, I need to go run a 50 mile race. That's not, that's not where the answer is. The answer is, is picking up pen and paper and just showing up for myself. And actually another thing that's very simple that most people can and should do is making my bed. It's like, there's a whole speech by Admiral McRaven, right? Make your bed. That kind of stuck with me. And I was like, well, I'm just going to make the bed. And it's just, it's, it's the, it's the foundation for my recovery is built on the smallest out of the smallest, tiniest bricks, but they make the biggest difference in my life. So that's what I, that's what I would say to, like, to, to anyone who's in the place where I was at you have to decide that you want things better and then figure out what it is. How can you show up for yourself? That, that the sim simplest things, that, thing that you can do once you do it, then there's going to be the next thing. And then all, before you know it, that momentum has shifted. You don't need to go from where you are now in that dark place. to to everything is great. All you need is to feel momentum, like to feel progress. That feeling of progress is so intoxicating that will, that will sustain you. That will keep you going. And before you know it, you're going to be just like me. And every single day builds upon itself until, yes. like you said, eventually it becomes a routine. When it comes to routine, then you're like, I got this. How do I get more uncomfortable to achieve that next step in that journey? Absolutely. And, and, it, and, it, and it happens. The best thing about it is it happens naturally. Just like on the way down, every day gets just a little bit worse. And, and like you have bad habits and, and then you pick up another bad habit. Same thing happens on the way up. You just have to turn yourself around. And, and, and that decision is it's here. It's in you. Nobody else can, can do it for you. So when it comes to mental health, sometimes people keep it at arm's distance. I call it the Heisman Award, right? It's like, well, I got yeah. my life and the other people who are dealing with stuff, I'm just going to keep it at arm's distance. So What's the best way to educate people and build awareness around mental health? Well, I think it's just mental health is very easy to ignore. Like even when you know, even when you know that, that you should be taking care of yourself, you should be, you don't have to mental health. Like you don't have to be like living with memories of going face to face with a suicide bomber. Mental health is how do you deal with stress? Everyone deals with stress, right? And whatever is stressing you out, you can either like face it, process it, or you can distract yourself from it. You can, you can numb that, whatever you can distract yourself through social media or through drinking or through whatever. There's a million ways to, to distract yourself. So everyone is impacted by mental health, but because it's invisible, it's very easy to ignore. So the way to address the mental health health crises that, that we all face, that we face in this country is by having these conversations, by making it normal. It's like, you're stressed out, you, you should be stressed out. It's, it's, 
it's a human. It's it's part of who we are. And just like we get a cold, and just we get a flu or COVID or whatever, we break something, and you take care of that. You you should be doing same thing with your mind. And it's probably I would say it's probably more important than anything else because. I've been fortunate enough to be around some incredible human beings that have lost legs, arms. As long as the mind is there, everything else is is irrelevant. Mm. So typically, I ask every single guest, it's focused on customer service and customer experience and saying, if you leave a note to every single one of those people, and it's going to hear everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? But I'm going to flip the script a little bit because I think we're, we're on an awesome trajectory here. Um, so if you could leave a note to all everybody else uh, in the world who's currently struggling with mental health, and let's say they're listening to this specific episode today, and what what would the notes say to them? All of the answers to your questions about just about everything that just about life, like everything is inside of you. Take the time to pay attention to yourself to your mind. Most of us do the opposite. Most of us distract ourselves and they want to escape and they want to and not think about whatever is, is, is going on up here. You have to flip it. All of the answers, all of your problems are solved inside, are, are inside. And the way you do that is either through therapy, somebody you trust, or through a journal. Or just going out and walking and not listening to music, but take the time to look inside of yourself. That's where all the keys to the kingdom are. Uh, I appreciate this a whole lot. Uh, this is a much needed conversation and doesn't get, from my perspective, doesn't get talked about enough uh, in, in corporate America, let alone the military or, or, or anywhere in between. And so I, I appreciate your honesty, your vulnerability, and, um, you know, um, thank, thank you for your service. Um, you know, when it comes to people reaching out to you and they're like, you know, I, I'm struggling, I need help, or I want to learn more about this guy jumping out of planes and, or speaking at events, uh, what's the best way for people to, to get, get a hold of you? Um, so I'm on Instagram and I'm on LinkedIn and it's just my name at Pasha Palanker. Awesome. Uh, yeah, find me on there and I'll, I'll answer whatever you send me a message. I'll get back to you. That's great, man. Well, uh, everybody should right after this episode, uh, connect with this fella, uh, follow him. Uh, he's, he's got a great story and the story's not done. Um, yeah. and I would say that your story is not done either. Um, and you know, continue to ask for help when needed. Um, and again, Pasha, thanks for your time and uh, looking forward to to continuing to pay attention to your story. Thank you, Nick. Great conversation today. Appreciate you. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.